Welcome back, everybody, to the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast. For those about to rock, we salute you. We are here to take on the second part of the Appetite for Destruction versus Back in Black episode. Jason, how are you doing? It's been too long. I'm glad to be back. Yes, I'm let loose from the noose. That's kept me hanging about. (laughs) Well, I'm just thunderstruck, so let's start rocking the free world. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast, discussing and debating the iconic and the forgotten of 80s and 90s pop culture with your co-hosts, James D. Graves and Jason Colvin. We are here today to talk about the ACDC album, Back in Black. Last week, we talked about Appetite for Destruction by Guns N' Roses. And once we're done with going through today's episode, we will give you our final judgment as to which album we think is the best. Jason, do you know what you're going to pick yet? I do know what I'm going to pick. I do know what I'm going to pick. This was a really fun episode to put together because, I mean, you and I went back and forth. We had to find two worthy opponents. Right. We've got Evander Holyfield and Mike Tyson face-to-face. Here we go. That's right. That's Who's right. going to bite somebody's ear off? <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it, man. Let's do yeah. it. All right, we're going to jump right in. So we're talking today about ACDC, who has a unique history. They started off and got famous with a singer that was not the singer for Back in Black. They went through a couple of singers before they got to the singer of Back in Black. When they started out initially, they had this guy named Dave Evans. Yeah. Dave and uh, Mark Stone and uh, the (laughs) the guy for the police need to form this band (laughs) called the Near Misses, you know? Yeah, yeah. So Dave Evans was the guy. They had had a guy or two before that. But I'll rewind just a little bit. You know, we we gave you the story of the Van Halen boys history. And with this band, there's no question that Malcolm and Angus Young are the backbone of the band. They're the founders of the band. They're the consistent. And so some interesting things about them. You know, this is regarded as an Australian band, but most of the members, the core members anyway, were transplants. They were immigrants from Scotland. Bon Scott, who ultimately became the lead singer, came over in the 50s, and Angus and Malcolm came over with their family in 1963. Scotland had had what was called the Big Freeze, which was like the worst winter on record, and so everybody was kind of miserable, eight feet of snow, and their dad sees a advert on the telly, as they say, <laughs> and... <laughs> And it's given, you know, financial help for somebody who wants to travel down to Australia. And so he and 11 other family members travel down there. And it's down there that their older brother, George, starts a band that within just like six months or so has a reasonably popular success. And the boys see his fame and they're like... Hey, I think we could do that. Their brother George was a member of the band called the Easy Beats, who had a hit song in America. Yeah. And they were inspired. They're like, hey, our brother put together a couple of guys, made some music, and all of a sudden, he's famous. Yeah. I mean, they came over there, and they were they're poor. They were staying in a hostel. You know, that's it was a meager means that they existed by. And then six months later, they've got cameramen on their front doorstep wanting to take pictures of the new rock star. Their famous brother. That's right. Right. They grew up, though, in a musical family where they would sit around the piano and they would play songs. And for them, this was normal behavior. They just assumed every family did these things. Right. Just kind of like reading for them. Everybody just learned how to play something. Yeah. 
Angus's first instrument was actually a banjo that he (laughs) strung as a guitar so that he could play it like a guitar. And he and Malcolm formed a couple of high school groups, separate groups. And eventually they decided, you know what? These groups aren't working out. How about we do something together? And then George, the older brother, got home and they said, hey, we've started a band together. (laughs) And he goes... I'll give that one two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> These were two brothers separated by two years and they constantly fought. Yeah. And it's interesting to hear that two weeks for guys who ended up staying together from 1974 until Malcolm had to leave the band due to health issues. Yeah. Yeah. 40 years. <laughs> it's a great run for them. Great run for them. I think it's interesting where they got their name from, their band name. Yeah. Their sister, Margaret, had a sewing machine, and she just made the comment something about her sewing machine, and on the back of it has this little label that said ACDC. Yeah. And ACDC. Malcolm heard that, and he's like, hey, that's, that's pretty good, you know? And yeah. that, to them, meant power and energy, and they thought, well, that's a pretty good name. Yeah, we're electric. Not much longer, they're riding in a taxi cab, and they tell the cabbie their name, and he's like, are you guys gay? And they're like, what? Speaking yeah. of their name. Yeah. So it really did just come from the back of a sewing machine. Everybody Mm -hmm. has tried to put different meanings for it. Yeah. I had heard all the rumors about how Antichrist, Devil's Children, or After Christ, Devil Comes, all this sort of, they just thought it was pretty cool little electrical term, you know? There's this thing that happened when we were kids where this guy in California was murdering people as the Night Stalker. As it happened, you know, the sheriff's office found a hat that he had left behind at one of the murder scenes and it happened to be an ACDC hat. The, you know, the sheriff's office was like, we use that information to try to get people to go, hey, maybe I know who that is. You know, it's an an identifying, but the press took it and went an entirely different direction and tried to make them into this demonic band and yeah, antichrist thing. It kind of dumb. If you liked ACDC's music, you were suspected of being a serial killer. Right. Yeah. But um, I mean, to be fair, they they did have a lot of stuff that would have caused, I mean, if I was a parent back in the 80s, I'd been like, wait a minute, there's a guy with the devil horns and (laughs) devil tail on this album. And the the song's song's called what? Highway to Hell? Um, Okay, no. Right, exactly. I think they like to do things that were controversial and, and stir up excitement about themselves. I don't... It's not a new idea. By not a, no, and it's not a satanic band. Right, right. So the boys have their band. They go through a couple of singers, end up with Dave Evans for a little while, who's very much a glam rocker. He's putting on the makeup. He's got the spandex going on. And the guys are like, uh, this, this is not working out. I don't like this. They didn't like the glam thing at all. But they no. did have a moderate hit with, with him. The song yeah. was called, Can I Sit Next to You, Girl? Yep. Sounds like a Beach Boys tune, but it it's does. a rocker. Yeah. So they decide, we're tired of Dave. We want somebody else who can rock a little bit. While they have been going through this experience, Bon Scott, whose name is, given name is Ronald, but they called him Bon, which was short for Bonnie Scotland, because he was from Scotland. from Scotland, right? And so he had a rough go of it. He was kind of like Axel, you know, he had, he had some run-ins with the law, maybe <laughs> punched a cop in the face here and there, you know? <laughs> Like you do. Right. And he had been involved with a couple of bands, one of which was named Fraternity. He was in Fraternity, The Valentines, and The The Valentines. Yes. He had been in those bands, but had kind of, you know, reached the end. Hadn't been much of a success. Had played with some guys and done some tours, but really was just kind of at a low point. And one night, 
1974 gets in kind of a yelling match with someone in the middle of the night in one of the bands and drinks. I mean, he'd been drinking all day, which he did for most of his adult life and jumped on a motorcycle and had a wreck that almost killed him. That's right. That's right. Very near death. At that same time, as he was recovering in the hospital, the boys are looking for a new lead singer for the band. And somebody says, hey, you know, what about having Bond Scott? And they, they're like, guy who drives the van? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> when you do these things, you find that there's never a completely consistent history on exactly what happened. But basically, Bond Scott had kind of acted as a van driver or roadie for the band, played drums with him here and there. Yeah. And initially, the idea was suggested to him. Somebody, and I think it may have been George, said, eh, he's too old. And I'm pretty sure that motorcycle accident has messed him up permanently. I don't think he's a good fit. <laughs> and then Bond goes to see. ACDC playing and he watches them and he's like he wanted to join the band right away but he was like man they're really young I don't know if they're mature enough to handle me but once they got together they were immediately brothers you know Angus at that moment when Bond wanted to join the band Angus was only 19 Malcolm was yeah. 21 and Bond Scott was 29 so he's an older guy he's been around the block a few times yeah and, a uh, few times. <laughs> <laughs> and he went to him and he's like, hey, give me a shot. You know, I think I can, I'm, I'm a better singer than the guy that's been traveling with you guys. You know, give me a shot. I can do this. Yeah. And, and then when of he course, stepped in, man, it took off. It was magic. Okay, everybody, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back after these messages. And so, yeah, kind of the rest is history for a time there. They put their first record out in 1976. That album is called High Voltage. And actually, that's the first international release. I think they had a couple of albums that were Australia only, and they yeah. kind of combined those two to make an all-star uh, one called High Voltage, which was yep. released. Most people are familiar with that one in 1976. And it's, it's interesting. You know, you look at the album covers, the center of attention is Angus. Right. You know, typically, I mean, even with Van Halen, David Lee Roth was in the front. I mean, Eddie was there, but it was, you didn't have only the guitar player on the front, but Angus had done a heck of a job kind of developing this persona with a schoolboy outfit. This was the, uh, this is the other way his sister was involved, right? That's it. That's right. So his sister, Margaret, who came up with the name ACDC, also commented that Angus still looked like a schoolboy. Right. And he thought, well, heck, if I look like a schoolboy, I might as well still wear the schoolboy outfit. He had been trying to find a shtick. He had tried Superman <laughs> parody called Super Ang, and he had tried a Spider-Man and a Zorro outfit. But when he's a small man, He's a small, he was young at the time anyway. I mean, a young guy, but he's a small young guy. And so the schoolboy outfit worked. It was kind of this, hey, is there a little kid up there shredding the guitar right now? <laughs> I saw this. This is really interesting. Angus is five foot two. Yeah. Malcolm is five foot three. Yeah. Brian Johnson's only five foot five. Yeah. So the power that these guys put out, <laughs> these guys are pint-sized rockers, but they are awesome. Yeah, they to kind of promote the schoolboy image, they told everybody that Angus was actually five years younger than he really was. <laughs> <laughs> when you think about what I was doing at 19, I mean, he's touring the world, doing all this crazy stuff, playing yeah. crazy guitar. He's a rock star. All these guys were high school dropouts who became world touring 
world-changing rock stars. Malcolm and Angus dropped out of high school exactly at 14 years, nine months, which is legally the minimum you can go to school. They're chomping years, on the bit. Nine months. I'm out of here. <laughs> My school birthday is tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> that is math assignment that you chumps are doing tonight. I ain't doing it. So they became a pretty big hit in Australia, and then with the release of High Voltage, they started to get some international success. It took them a little while to become a success in America, though. It did. They, I heard one of the ways they did it was they would play anywhere, anytime, all the time. Ten people, five people, 300 people, didn't matter. They would play and play and play and play and play. And that's something that the Beatles actually did in Hamburg. They would just play so much, they got good at their craft, right. and people they made a name for themselves yeah you you and i have both read the book outliers that talks about how the beatles would play in that strip club in hamburg and it would they wouldn't have a half hour set they wouldn't have an hour set they would have an eight hour set <laughs> in a strip club so the people aren't really looking at them so they were like okay we got to find some music that's interesting for people to listen to because we're not the focus of the show here. And they got so much practice just as kids that by the time they hit America in 1964, they were already experts in their craft. So after High Voltage, they moved to London in 1976 in an effort to become international rock stars. It's interesting, you know, to hear these guys talk because they don't sound Scottish, but they also don't exactly sound Australian either. That's funny because Brian Johnson at this time is playing in a band called Geordie, which refers to a group of folks who have a very unique style of speaking from the UK. If you've seen Britain's Got Talent, the two guys who are, you know, off to the side who like introduce people and stuff, those guys are both Geordie guys. And it's it's that kind of, it, the accent is intriguing to me. You know, just kind of on that note, I, I read that, uh, so these guys are short, they kind of look like truck drivers, they, they kind of talk funny. They had trouble getting into their own gigs sometimes because... People didn't believe they were the rock stars that they are. They look like just these average guys off the streets, the little scruffy, you know? Yeah, yeah, they did. Bond was missing a few teeth. (laughs) He's an older guy. I mean, he looks too old. They look too young. It's all very... I mean, this guy's got tattoos and chest hair, and this is supposed (laughs) to be a lead singer for a rock band. I don't understand what's going on here. (laughs) So after High Voltage, also in 1976... They release Dirty Deeds, Done Dirt Cheap. Dirty Deeds and the Done Dirt Cheap, yeah. But they don't stop there. In 1977, they release another album, Let There Be Rock. And the music was good and the music was loud. <laughs> <laughs> then in 1978, notice they're not taking any time off at all. They release Powerage. Album, tour, album, tour. It's just like the Van Halen episodes we talked about. Flashback if you haven't heard episode one of Van Halen. Then again, in 1979, they released an album called If You Want Blood, You've Got It. That was a live album. All of those albums were produced by their brother, George. I guess he was the seasoned expert at the time that they started the <laughs> band, but you know he's helping them out through this process, and he's, he's the older, wiser guy who can put these albums together and make them sound good. Well, then... In 1979, we have an album called Highway to Hell. Yeah, this one was not produced by their brother, Georgie. This one was produced by Matlanga. Matlanga. We love him. He produced Pyromania. He produced Hysteria. He produced some albums by Celine Dion and Shania Twain. He also did Heartbeat City by the Cars, Back in Black. Michael Bolton. 
Michael Bolton. This guy knows yes. how to make hits. I mean, come on. Yeah, he does. And he was Highway to Hell was one of the earlier ones that he had done. And he had not quite gotten to the stage that he was at by the time Pyromania came under his control. But he was definitely a guy who knew what he was doing and was still meticulous and was still making hit albums. Yeah, they would talk about how they'd get started about 10 in the morning and then they would come in and record and he would stay until 3 o'clock in the morning just be a studio rat. Yeah. Then, just as things are taking off, they're on their meteoric rise, February 19th to be exact, 1980, Bon Scott goes out drinking with his friends, and Bon Scott was always the guy who wanted to keep partying, who wanted to drink a little bit more, stay up a little bit longer, and he and the boys had gotten together just a few days before and they had said, here are some of the songs that, you know, here's the music, some of the songs that we're working on for our next album. He even played drums. There's a couple of demo tapes out there that have him on the drums on those songs. But he walks out the door and they say, just a couple more weeks, man, and we will have these songs ready for you to put lyrics to. And that was the last time they saw him. He went out drinking with a friend of his. And, you know, like, like I said, he wasn't a stranger to drinking. They had a good time, got home late that night or early the next morning. And he was sleeping it off, as they say, except that when the friend came out the next day, he found him lifeless in the car. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to get too graphic, but the story that, that I read up on was, he passed out in the passenger seat. His friend leaned the chair back and put a blanket on him. Couldn't rouse him. Couldn't bring him inside. So he just let him sleep in the car. And overnight, he, he aspirated some of his vomit and passed away that way. The, the death certificate says acute alcohol poisoning, death by misadventure. And there are all kinds of conspiracy theories out there that we don't need to get into. We sure don't have the expertise to talk about that sort of thing. But the point is... They're shooting up like a rocket, and then suddenly the pilot's gone. Yep, that's right. I do think it's interesting. Vaughn had several lyrical ideas for the album, the unnamed album that was coming. That Those ideas were abandoned in favor of Brian's lyrics. Yeah. But ACDC manager Ian Jeffrey claims to still have a folder that contains lyrics for up to 15 songs that was going to be back in black. Yeah. The boys are notified of Bond's death. They have to, I mean, his mom's still down in Australia and they're up in the UK and they have to give her a call and let her know what's happened. And they go to the funeral. They are trying to figure out, does the band continue on? What do we need to do? And it's actually Bond's father that says, Bond would want you to go on. He would want you to continue with ACDC and, and make it something great. And so they decide not to mope about. They decide to start playing and pick things back up where they had left them off. And then they start their search for not a replacement singer, because you can't replace Bon Scott, but a new singer to be their front man. Okay, everybody, we're going to take a quick break. Please stay with us. We will be right back after these messages. So we know what happens. We know that Brian Johnson becomes the new lead singer, but do you know who the first person to recommend Brian Johnson to the band was? Uh, no, who was it? It was Bon Scott. 
Wow. So, yeah. So we mentioned earlier that Bon Scott was in a few bands before he joined ACDC. And one of those bands was a band called Fraternity. Well, Fraternity used to do supporting gigs for this band called Jordy, which I mentioned just a bit ago, that had Brian Johnson as their lead singer. And they had had a little bit of success as well. But Bon Scott had seen them perform. And after seeing them perform, he came and told the young brother, he's like, oh man, I wish you could have seen this guy. He was amazing. He was like Little Richard. And Little Richard was Bon's favorite performer. He was like, he did this whole thing where he fell on the floor and was spinning around like he was in agonizing pain. It was amazing. <laughs> and he like sealed the deal. Like they came and like took him out in a wheelchair. It was, it was, <laughs> and I'm just, you know, I'm kind of imagining, I'm kind of imagining James Brown, you know, where they try to walk him off the stage and he goes back on. Um, but as it turns out, Brian Johnson was actually, he had appendicitis at the time. <laughs> he was actually rolling around the ground on pain. <laughs> and they really did take him off to the hospital after it was over. <laughs> uh, but after Bond's passing, they had a fan that sent him a tape of Jordy and said, you guys should really look at this guy. And they're like, hey, isn't this the guy that Bond talked about? And then Mutt Lang without knowing any of this says, I think you guys should listen to Brian Johnson. I mean, I think he's, I think he'd be a really good fit for the band. And so by the time they started doing auditions with folks, he, he kind of was already the pick in their head. That fan from Cleveland that mailed the album to the record company and said, you guys need to listen to this guy. Yeah. If you're listening to this podcast, we want to hear from you. <laughs> yes. We don't yeah. know your name, but please hook us up on Facebook. Say, I'm the guy who contacted the record company on behalf of Brian Johnson. So, Brian Johnson, I mean, uh, God, we, t- we, talked about, we talked in our episode about Journey. And, you know, Steve Perry was working on a turkey ranch when he got the call and said, Hey, we want you to come sing for journey. <laughs> but journey was nobody at that point. You know, they were the leftovers from Santana. The guy who took over for Steve Perry was working at the gap. <laughs> <laughs> he was working at the gap when he got the phone call that said, Hey, we we'd like you to come be the lead singer for journey. Um, well, I've kind of got like a insurance now and right. <laughs> <laughs> dude journey journey. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, okay. I'll come out. So when Brian Johnson gets the call, they don't tell him who the band is. And he's I love like, this story, yes. And he's like, um, okay, well, you want me to come down there? And, you know, it's, it's a bit of money. Can you at least give me the initials? And the lady who's talking to him on the phone goes, uh, yes, the initials are A C D C. <laughs> <laughs> and he's he's still hesitant you know he's like oh man i just don't even know that this is worth it because he had kind of reached the end like so many you know so many of the guys that we've talked about he's just kind of given up on the music industry and had started a little car repair place you know he's like "Ah, i don't know you know fixing windshields right well think about it (laughs) got some white walls (laughs) And so, as we mentioned in our Spaceballs episode, he happens to get another call near the same time that says, hey, we got a paying gig for you. Oh, all right. How much does he pay? 350 pounds. Oh, solid. What's it for? Hoover vacuum. (laughs) It's a beautiful movie. 
So Brian Johnson thinks, okay, well, I'm getting paid enough money that it makes it worth the trip down there. I guess I'll go ahead and audition for ACDC while I make my vacuum commercial. I love the Huber vacuum cleaner commercial. <laughs> it is amazing. It's no back in black. But I mean, you know, come it's on. It's good, though. It's really good. <laughs> it's a beautiful mover. <laughs> <laughs> And then he's got to go over and sing for ACDC. And these guys are, are world famous at this point, And he's petrified. He talks about sitting in a cafe across the street, too scared to go over, having a, having a bit of tea and a, uh, and a biscuit or something. And the pastry's so crusty that he can't even eat it. And he's like, ah, F it. I guess I better go do this. And just walks across the street. Well, meanwhile... Malcolm and Angus and the boys have been auditioning all these other lead singers and they are like, Hey, where's Brian? He was supposed to be here like an hour ago. And somebody goes, Oh, I think he's downstairs playing pool with the roadies. And they're like, <laughs> well, okay, well at least he plays pool. And so they call him up and the first thing Malcolm does is hand him a beer and says, I'm sure you're thirsty. And he's like, oh, I bet I could drain this thing right now you know what I think I will. And he drains the beer <laughs> and they say, well, what do you, what would you like to perform? And he says, it was by Ike and Tina Turner. It's called Nutbush city limits. And so they hear him say that. And they're like, Oh, thank God. Every other person that's been in here singing says smoke on the water. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's good. And so they do that and it goes pretty well. And so they say, well, what else have you got? And he, he had put his band back together at that point, but they were just doing small club shows, but they always, as their closing song would play a whole lot of Rosie. And so he says, I can do a whole lot of Rosie. And they're like, right on. And so they play it, he sings it, and they know immediately, this is our man. So they send him back home, and a little while later, they're like, hey, can you come down for a second audition? And he, again, he's like, guys, you know, this is it's kind of expensive for me to come down there. And... They find a way to get him down there. He sings with them again. That night, he stays at a hotel with one of the roadies, and the roadies, roadie guy is like, I think you got this, man. And he's like, no. He has no hope. He has given up hope on this thing. He goes back home. He continues working on cars. He continues playing small gigs and says, oh, hey, to his band at the time, says, oh, by the way, guys, I went and had a sing with ACDC. And they're like, what? Oh, I had a sing with ACDC. And they're like, Oh, cool. And then they go play. And that right. was all the conversation <laughs> that they had, you know. And then he gets a call on his dad's birthday. He had he was still he had gone back to living with his parents, came to the house, had bought his dad a bottle of whiskey for his birthday, but comes in and nobody's there and the phone rings and it's Malcolm Young and he says, So we're going to be leaving in a couple of days to go record this new album. Do you think you can make it? And he's like, are you, are you serious? I get it. <laughs> they, they get it. What do you mean? And, and he's like, yeah, so we, yeah, we're just thinking, you know, we got to leave pretty quick. So are you in? And he says, 
can you call me back in 10 minutes? <laughs> I just want to make sure the people that's no, that somebody's not screwing with me right now. You know, the, Malcolm's like, okay, hangs right. up the phone, calls him exactly 10 minutes later and says, okay, so can you go? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> See, he's not using that language. He's using better language than that. He puts the phone down for a second, says the F word, gets back on and says, yep, yeah, I'll find a way to do it. And he then he hangs up the phone and he's like, I'm the only one here. So he pops the top <laughs> on the bottle he bought for his dad because he figures I need a drink and he chugs himself a celebratory drink by himself. And then one week he is in the Bahamas with Mutt Lang and ACDC recording what would become one of the greatest albums of all history. It's incredible. These stories are amazing. This is why nobody should ever give up on their dream. Steve Perry was working at a turkey ranch. Brian Johnson was fixing windshields. One week later, he's in the Bahamas recording Back in Black. Okay, everybody, we're going to take a quick break. Please stay with us. We will be right back after these messages. All right, that is how the band came to be. Are we ready to dive in track by track on this one? Yeah, and and just real quick, just, you know, briefly touch on the recording process. You know, it sounds really nice to be recording in the Bahamas, you know. We kind of talked <laughs> about the police and their beautiful island that they were on as they were recording. It was not exactly that for the ACDC boys. It was a kind of a cement and mortar type of place. The only reason that they went to the Bahamas is because there were no recording studios available in the UK. And also it worked as a tax advantage to record down there instead of recording in the UK. This recording studio that that they had was run by this old Bahama lady who in addition to giving them a room with a table and a lamp on the table, gave them a stick. It's like a harp, like a fish harpoon stick to put by the door. And she said, you got to be careful. Sometimes at night, these wild Haitians will come down and try to rob you. (laughs) Okay. This is not the Bahama. This is not the Bahama vacation I was expecting. (laughs) But again, you know, you, you put all these circumstances together and somehow you come out with, Back in Black. Amazing. All right. So Back in Black is released July 25th, 1980. Let's yeah. talk briefly about the cover. Okay. Okay. Yeah. First of all, the title Back in Black was a phrase that Malcolm Young had in his head for a while, but he knew in his brain, this is what I want the album to be called, Back right. in Black. Yep. As a tribute to Bon Scott, the cover of the album is all black with just some basic white outlined letters saying ACDC back in black. Yeah. The boys had wanted it to be just straight black and the record company was like, not okay with that. But if you'll just put your name in white lettering, that's fine. Yep. Okay. So are we ready to do this? Let's do this. Let's jump in. I'm excited about this first song. I listened, I listened to this album again today, cranked it up, pumped my fist as I drove home. So The first song on the album is Hell's Bells. Okay, so we've talked before about how Mutt Lang puts these albums together brick by brick. And this first song is such an awesome layering of sounds because you start off with that bell. 
you know and there's a story behind the bell i'll get to in a minute but you got that bell and it's it's all you hear it's like you're are you coming to church what's going on here and then on your right speaker it lays down that first guitar you know layer one bell layer two guitar malcolm's guitar is over there and then layer three you get just little snippets of Angus's guitar coming in, you know, just little bits that's over here on the left speaker. They're doing this incredible job of using the stereo to its full advantage. And then the drums come in, layer four, and you're like, yeah, yeah. And then it all comes together. Bass comes in, which is, I mean, the bass on almost all of their songs is just that straightforward boom, 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 boom. And it is amazing. What a great start for the album. And like you said, it's layer, intensifies, builds to this great rocking song. Yeah. And so there are literally thousands of ACDC fans that, I mean, within a matter of just a few months have learned the lead singer to their band has just died. And six weeks later learned they've already got a new guy. And I mean, it's just, I could, I mean, this is, I akin this to like, you know, your, your parents get divorced and then one of them has a, you know, girlfriend or boyfriend in, a month and a half you're just right. like oh what's what's going on this isn't right and so the question is you know like what how are the fans going to react to this new guy and are they i mean if this album is dedicated to bon scott is it going to be some sort of you know sappy sentimental tribute but they don't do that at all they give they give they give that ominous tone and the and the even the guitar has kind of an ominous feel to it but it's the song is Hell's Bells, which is kind of a nod to For Whom the Bell Tolls. You know, the, the, there's, it's come up several times, but the, the saying is, ask not for whom the bell tolls, it tolls for thee. And the idea is, don't worry about the dead, worry about yourself, worry about your life. And that's exactly what they do with this album. They say, or Bond would not have wanted us to play some sappy ballad. He wouldn't have wanted some song, you know, about him. He would have wanted us to kick ass, and that's what we're going to do. A few episodes ago, we talked about Jonathan Cain when he wrote Faithfully by Journey. He had kind of a supernatural experience where that song, he says, God gave it to him and just sort of supernaturally came through him, out of his hands, and he just wrote it down on a piece of paper, just flowed out of him. Something similar happened to Brian Johnson on Hell's Bells. It's supernatural. He's not a believer, but something weird happened to him, and he talks about it. He said, I don't believe in God or heaven or hell, but something weird happened. He was in his room. He said, I'll never forget. I just started to write and never stopped, and it just flowed out of my hands. I thought that was a really interesting story. Did you know that there's an ACDC all-female tribute band called The Hell's Bells? B-E-L-L-E-S. No, but I did know that there's a bluegrass band tribute to ACDC called Hazy Dixie. You're only young, but you're only <laughs> That's good. That's good. So he came up with the lyrics to this one 
midway through the recording of the album. He did a majority, if not all, of the lyrics in this album, which is kind of a big deal. I mean, they they auditioned him to sing, but they didn't. You know, they just were like, "Hey, can you write any lyrics?" And he, uh, I guess, you know, it's 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 a, <laughs> right. Writing an entire album's worth of lyrics is a daunting task, and he had done quite a few songs and was just kind of out of ideas and was stressing about it. And Mutt Lang just, I guess, gets gets the feeling and goes so he goes by his room and says hey you know brian are you doing all right he's like man i'm just i'm out of ideas and like as he says it lightning strikes yep right and then of course you know they're in the bahamas where you get tropical weather just instantaneously and so the lightning strikes and there's this really loud thunder that comes through and Mutt Lang says, God, you hear that thunder? And Brian just kind of with his head down says, yeah, it's a rolling thunder. And Mutt's like, what? He says, uh, rolling thunder. That's just what they call it in the UK. It's a rolling thunder. And Mutt says, write that down. Right. And then as they're talking, that this torrential downpour happens. And so in moments, you know, you talk about that divine inspiration. In moments, he goes from, I can't think of anything, to the first lines of his song, I'm a rolling thunder, a pouring rain, coming on like a hurricane. That's great, man. That's awesome. Okay, so here's something that Hell's Bells means to me, all right? And we talked about this in our Major League episode, but I'm a baseball fan. Right? Right. Trevor Hoffman was a relief pitcher for the San Diego Padres in the 90s. And every time he took the field, they played Hell's Bells as an intimidation to the other team. Right? Okay. So for me, Hell's Bells signifies Trevor Hoffman coming on the field and he's going to shut everybody down. However, this was one of the first, they call it entrance songs for baseball players. Oh, yeah. They got this idea from when Ricky Vaughn took the field and they played Wild Thing in Major League. So flashback awesome. to our Major League episode. Yeah, that's great. So, yeah, the you know the line, you're only young, but you're going to die. Yes. I, I mean, there, there are these, I mean, it comes up in a few of the other songs. There are these references to death and drinking that are not in any way sentimental, despite the fact that... <laughs> A month and a half earlier, their lead singer had died because of drinking too much. Right. Basically, every single ACDC song is about either sex, booze, or rock. Yeah. I mean, that's it. That's their. That's what they do. And yeah. They do it and really well. I don't know if Brian Johnson was inspired. I don't know if, like, if Bon Scott was speaking to him from Beyond the Grave, or if he just went, you know what? Bon had a lot of success with Innuendo. Let me see what I can do with that. <laughs> I'm going to run with that. I think I got this. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Let's talk about the actual bell sound. Yeah. So they needed a bell. You know, they've they've got this idea that the bell is going to be the perfect way to start the album, the perfect way to start the song. And they can't get a good bell sound. And somebody says, why don't you just go to the church that's down the road and just use that bell? And so they're like, okay. And so they take their recording equipment and they go to record the bell. And every time they rang the bell, all these pigeons that are sitting around the bell would take off flying. (laughs) And you had the sound of flapping wings on your recording of the bell. Yep. And like, okay, so we wait for the bell to quiet down. It's finally quiet again. They hit the bell. And by that time, all the pigeons had come back and there's flapping all over again. And I'm like, well, 
balls. This is not going to work. So they have to have a bell custom made, right? Yeah, yeah. So they have a bell, a 2,000-pound cast bronze bell made by John Taylor. It's a replica of the Denison Bell in the Carolyn Tower at Lowborough War Museum. Okay, I can't. If I mispronounce that, I'm really sorry. <laughs> I've never been here. <laughs> but when they recorded the sound effect for the bell, they used yeah. 15 microphones because the acoustics of the bell, you never know where the sound is going to come from. Right. Microphones. And then when they got the sound that they wanted, they slowed it down to half speed. So oh. it gives it that real ominous boom. Oh, nice. Okay. That's awesome. Well, and then, of course, after they produced the album, they went on tour and they took the bell on tour with them and they would start every show by lowering that bell down. And Brian Johnson would slam slam it with a hammer as or you know sometimes he would even run and jump and ring the thing but it was uh it was a great stage prop that they had made just by needing to have the sound for the album if you're keeping track at home there's 13 bell tolls <laughs> four before the music starts and nine after all right okay i did not count the bells okay the next song on the album is shoot the thrill So in just a bit, we're going to talk about Back to Black, which was the intro song for Tony Stark in Iron Man 1. And then for Iron Man 2, they used Shoot to Thrill. So freaking good. Oh, this kicks, song is awesome. Yeah, it, it kicks a whole lot of butt. And it's got the sexual innuendo in there and the dangerousness, you know, is this a real gun? Or are we talking about a, a male gun? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Probably a little double entendre picked up on, the, on those euphemisms. Yeah, so you touched on it. You're right. This, for my family, I mean, I, I know this song from Back in Black, but my boys recognize it as basically Iron Man's theme. Right, so when he enters in Iron Man Two, they play "Shoot the Thrill." They also play this in the original Avengers when Iron Man enters. Brian Johnson was explaining the inspiration for this song. He talked about how this is about suburban neighborhood bored housewives who get into extramarital affairs and too much narcotics. Yeah. The girls who want the bad boys. This song, interestingly enough, was never released as a single, and no video was ever made for it. Yeah, it's crazy, because this song is amazing. It was made to be a single. I can't figure out why they would not have done that. I'm with you. This is one of the best songs on this album. It's a five-star song. But, I mean, as I understand it, I think radio stations played every single song on this album at some point. Like, it's just not... It was... Whether it was a single or not, the radio stations recognized this album is f full of hits. Yes. I mean, DJs definitely latched onto this song and played it anyway, despite not being released as a single. All right. This song's amazing. I love it. Five-star song. Moving on. Track number three is a song called What Do You Do For Money, Honey? Okay. So some of the lyrics on this song talk about calling out gold diggers and saying that 
he will not be set up by the women who are after his gold. The gold digger song. It's a gold digger song. It's a good song. It's not a great song. Um, I love this song. Yeah, no, I love this song. Okay. Yeah, it's a good one. It's hard to maintain the shoot to thrill back in black hell's bells level of of songs throughout, but well, they come back with yeah, they come back with kind of their punching intensity that they had from their previous albums on this one. I mean, it, it explodes out, whereas the other ones were a build. This one is immediately in your face, bam, bam. Yeah, I, I like it. I definitely like it. Track number four is a song called "Giving the Dog a Bone." This is going to be hard to remain family friendly as we talk about this one. <laughs> <laughs> so is it giving the dog a bone or given the dog a bone i got given it will appear differently like i think on the album it was g-i-v-e-n but then like on itunes it's g-i-v-i-n and it has appeared as g-i-v-i-n-g in certain spots <laughs> either way as I can best tell, this is a song about <laughs> going to the store, buying a milk bone for your dog. I don't know. This song, I, I, I saw it described as a very Spinal Tap-esque. <laughs> so you're saying there's a lot of subtlety going on here. Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> there's some uh, description that uh, leads you to believe certain things. So uh, I don't know. What do you think about this one? Um, I, I this one is okay for me, but it wasn't it wasn't something that I want to come back and listen to over and over again. Here's the um, thing. In all honesty, here's the thing. If you like one ACDC song, you probably like almost all ACDC songs because they're very similar. It's it's heavy guitars, it's sex, booze, and rock. It's pretty simple rock, you know right in your face some are just better than others you know what i mean she's no mona lisa she's no playboy star but she'll send you to heaven then explode you to mars i really i don't know what he's talking about there (laughs) (laughs) he's talking about doing ugly chicks sorry family friendly (laughs) he's talking about having an ugly girlfriend or something i don't know oh well she'll send you to mars it's okay so. This is this this is kind of like whole lot of rosy part two. Nice, good reference right there. Okay, good song, not a great song, good song. All right, after giving the dog a bone, that brings us to a song called "Let Me Put My Love Into You." I'm still, I'm lost. What's, what do we think <laughs> we mean here on this one? Well, you know, I have love to give, and so let me put it into you. Let me put it on the line. This song, okay, I've been waiting to talk about this song. (laughs) Oh my gosh, let me cut your cake with my knife. (laughs) Oh my goodness. All right, so this song has the distinction of being on the Parents Music Resource Center list of the Filthy 15. Have you heard about this list? Yeah, this is the Tipper Gore thing, right? This yeah, is where this like is. all the senator senator wives got together and said these songs are profane. These songs are awful for our youth. Yeah. So her husband's off inventing the internet and she's complaining about <laughs> ACDC songs. What's going on there? Okay. So here's the fi- the filthy 15. You ready for this? Yeah. So, let me put my love into you. Okay, we get it. It's about sex and probably not great for 14-year-olds to be saying that. <laughs> You know, 
at home. But here's the, I, I was just curious about who else was on this list, right? All right. So just some other songs that you may have heard. A song called Darlin' Nikki, a song called Nasty Girl by Vanity, Sugar Walls by Sheena Easton. So far, we got three in a row by Prince. Right. High and Dry by Def Leppard. We're Not Gonna Take It by Twisted Sister. What? Yeah. Uh, rebellion type of attitudes. Violence, well, I think. That one I know, was... but yeah, yeah, that's a stretch right there. Oh, well, wait. She Bop by Cyndi Lauper. What? That song's about masturbation. Okay. And then finally, Dress You Up by Madonna. Uh, I think they were going more for a look than an actual context of the song here. The Filthy 15. That's just a, a portion. Now, some of those you're like... Some of these titles, I'm like, whoa. Yeah, I definitely see what that, that's on there. But do you have anything more to say about Let Me Put My Love Into You? <laughs> I can crack up every time I say that. I, from what I understand is that all of those songs actually got a boost in ratings when they got put on the Filthy 15. Oh, yeah. One of the songs <laughs> is by Motley Crue, and Vince Neil was like, that was great for us. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. These songs are dirty? Let's listen again. <laughs> Okay, so after Let Me Put My Love Into You, that ends side one of Back in Black. Push stop. Hit eject. Flip it over. <laughs> back in. Press play. I mean, honestly, at this time, at this point, you're probably flipping the LP over. In 1980, you probably yeah. are flipping the LP. You're probably yeah. right about that. You, you might even be flipping the A-track over. <laughs> Uh, I had this on tape. Quick funny story about Back in Black. So I was on a ski trip with five of my high school buddies plus uh, an adult to make sure we didn't get in too much trouble. (laughs) So I asked my buddy, Chris Bauer, friend of the show, Chris Bauer, good friend of mine. His nickname was Bomber. Everybody called him Bomber. So anyway, at about 9 p.m., we're driving out to Colorado. I asked him, I said, hey, can I borrow your Back in Black tape? Because everybody's got their headphones on and their tape, tape players. He's like, yeah, I'll give it to you when I'm done with it. I'm like, all right, great. So I fall asleep. At 3 o'clock in the morning, he whacks me on the forehead with Back in Black. And I'm like, <laughs> what are you doing, dude? He's like, you wanted to borrow the tape. I'm like, I didn't want you to whack me in the forehead and wake me up. And <laughs> he almost had a fist fight in the car on the way out to Colorado. So, This is why you had your mom confiscate his other tape, right? <laughs> That's right. That's right. All right. Side two. First track. Song back in black. Oh, now I've now I have to think of it. Oh, something's just happened. Somebody scattered this song. I'm gonna have to look this up now. Okay, so forgive me for interrupting this awesome song for just a second, but somebody scattered the song and I'm gonna put it on. So well, and uh, you know, I've got the notoriety came from the uh, the ACDC, which sure. really uh, took sale, which is the So this song is very memorable to me for a couple of reasons. 
number one, this is a song that we would cover th this in my band. We did this song and I don't know why I was dumb at this particular point, but my drummer just had to say, okay, just wait until I hit the cymbal twice before you come in, okay? I'm going to be playing, and then it's going to go, shh, shh, all that's going to be real quiet, and then you come in after that. I'm like, okay, I'll get it right this time, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> this song is the best song in the album. This song blows me away. The guitars are so hooky, gorgeous, crunchy rock. Love it. Malcolm actually had the phrase, we talked about that, he had the phrase in his head, back in black, and he had the riff for the song before they really had the song. This was a warm-up exercise, kind of like how we talked about last week with Slash and Sweet Child of Mine. He would do this as a warm-up exercise. Okay, so title track, right? Dedicated to Bon Scott, and one of the lyrics in this song is, Forget the hearse, because I never die. I love it. I mean, this is th this is the perfect tribute to Bon Scott, right? Yeah, it's basically saying, Bon, your spirit will live on. Your legacy will live on. I thought it was interesting that they were talking to, there was an interview with Brian Johnson. He was talking to Mojo Magazine in 2009. When they said, can you write lyrics? They gave him the music for this song. And he's like, well, I'll give it a try. And they said, here's the deal. The only, the only thing is, it can't be morbid. It has to be for Bon and it has to be a celebration so he thought okay so that's when he came up with you know nine lives cat's eyes abusing every one of them and running wild and the boys really really enjoyed it and uh, they thought it was a great tribute to bond perfect tribute and it was a perfect tribute for the fans to hear as well for them to go okay this guy's one of us yeah I, and I think it worked. I think it totally worked. I think the fans embraced Brian Johnson. I don't. I mean, there's. I'm sure there's a, there's a a section of folks out there that were like, eh, I don't really care for ACDC after Bond died, but probably a really small contingent. Yeah, the vocals on this are incredible. Yeah, for me, this is Brian Johnson at his best. Right, and it's that perfect singing scream. You know, I mean, we talked about when Nirvana did it, but it's just that perfect, oh, that full emotion that sounds great. Yeah. And, you know, it's, they have, I won't, I won't say it's, I mean, their voices are not the same, but it, there's a similarness to them. I mean, he can pull off the Bon Scott songs, right? Right. He can, he can sing Highway to Hell and still kill it. But just, you know, just, the the voice Bon Scott's voice was a gravel voice, right? I read he actually he his uh, early morning ritual was to gargle with honey and red wine, <laughs> and that kept his voice nice and raspy. <laughs> and then and then Angus described Brian Johnson's voice as what somebody sounds like if you dropped a truck on their foot. <laughs> That's good. He's, he's got a screech, you know, Brian Johnson has got a, a higher pitched screaming style to his voice, but it, it fits with the ACDC style perfectly. What a great tribute. This album came out five months after Bond's death and this wonderful, amazing song. And it's a tribute to Bond. I will tell you this. This is a cool thing that I found. Kurt Cobain, was given a guitar on his 14th birthday, and the first song he learned to play was Back in Black. Okay, if you're a movie fan, you'll recognize this from Iron Man, yep. a movie called Grudge Match, 
Megamind, Karate Kid, the remake. Eh. The one we don't talk about. <laughs> okay. School of Rock and the Muppets. The Muppets? Not the Muppet movie. Not the Great Muppet Caper. The Muppets. Oh, the Muppets from like... 2011. Okay. Yeah. So. <laughs> okay. All right. So we're done with Back in Black. Starting off side two with an amazing song. Then we follow that one up with You Shook Me All Night Long. Is the best song now. Well, I can't really argue. The <laughs> two songs are freaking amazing back to back. Yeah, I can remember. I can remember as a kid, the the same cousins that as a seven year old I went and saw my first three sets of boobies in the movie theater. <laughs> when I became a teenager, I think I was probably fourteen when I went out to see them again and they had they had CDs and they had a really large CD collection. They were musicians. And among the CDs was Van Halen 1. So that's how I got introduced to Van Halen 1, which we talk about and which I still say is my favorite Van Halen album to this day. And then also Back in Black. And I made the best mixtape that has ever existed <laughs> in the history of mixtapes. <laughs> using all of their CDs, but <laughs> I was eclectic in my tastes and so were they. And so now every time I hear you shook me all night long, when the song ends, I really expect crazy by Patsy Cline to come on. <laughs> That's great, man. You've got that mixtape mixed yeah. up in your head. Pavlovian. Pavlovian response because it was that was what was next on the mixtape and I listened to it eight million times so I just that's what I expect be weird for Pandora to do that though okay here's an interesting thing for you when I discovered ACDC it was in 1986 when they came out with the album Who Made Who which was the soundtrack for Maximum Overdrive right right this is Stephen King movie with Emilio Estevez it's terrible and <laughs> it, it was terrible um, but the soundtrack was amazing so it had all ACDC songs and one of them was You Shook Me All Night Long along with Hell's Bells so they, they plucked some from Back in Black and that's how I discovered this song what I really like about this song is when it starts you have the guitar and Duh. then yep. as you continue on on the left side of your stereo and then it comes in with like the twinning guitar yep they bounce it back they pan it back and forth it's awesome yeah it's a great effect. This song reached number 35 on the U.S. Hot 100. Yeah, this was the first single off of the album. Yep, released August 9th, 1980. So Brian Johnson came up with this song because of all of the posters of American girls that were in the Bahamas. And I guess somehow he was thinking about his old car shop at the same time he was thinking about those girls because she was a fast machine. She kept her motor clean. She was the best damn woman that he'd ever seen. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I did hear him when talking about writing the lyrics to this. He, uh, the line, she told me to come, but I was already there. Oh my gosh. 
he thought he pushed it too far on that one, and they were like, nope, sounds great. Yep, best line on the album, really. <laughs> you know who else has a, a version of this song? Who? Shania Twain and Celine Dion. Yeah, that that was like one of the worst covers of all time. <laughs> Give me a second. He wants all right so you shook me all night long was placed at number 10 on vh1's list of the 100 greatest songs of the 80s so i heard i haven't verified this yet but i heard that there were some copies of the single that were pressed incorrectly and they accidentally put shake a leg on there instead of shook me all night long yeah, I heard about that. That Appar- would be a cool collector's item. Yeah, apparently it's yeah, it's tough to get, but they're yeah, it's a collector's item. They're expensive. Yeah, Shake a Leg, not nearly as good a song as You Shook Me All Night Long. No, not a bit. Okay, listen to this. I got this cool story. VH1 series pop-up video. You remember that? Ah, uh, VH1, the pop-up video. I have not thought about that in a long time. Okay, go, <laughs> go ahead. All right, so according to VH1's pop-up videos... The video for You Shook Me All Night Long featured a mechanical bull with a woman playing Johnson's lover riding the mechanical bull. Yeah, I remember that. During the filming, she accidentally jabbed herself with a spur. The roadie who came to her aid married her a year later. Aww. And Angus Young gave them a mechanical bull as a wedding present. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. How about that? That's Uh, cool. All right. We done with You Shook Me All Night Long? Yes. Okay. Two amazing songs back to back. Next Crazy. song. Up. No, that's not it. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. No, 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 no. Have a drink on me. <laughs> ah, again, I just love it that, yeah, hey. Let's sing songs about drinking. I know. We just lost our buddy to drinking, so have a drink on me. Yeah. And, and I, I mean, it's, the, it's perfect. It's exactly what it's kind of their toast to him, right? It's like, hey, you, you brought us here. Thank you. We're having a drink on you. Seriously. They don't see Bond's death as a PSA. They just see it as a celebration to continue doing what we're doing. So Live life to the fullest. Okay. Have a drink on me. Awesome song. Not quite at the level as Back in Black and You Shook Me All Night Long. Just another great song on this album. So, honestly, this one is one of my least favorites on the album. I know that this is one that the fans... Yeah, I know this is one of the ones that fans love. And it's not bad. I don't hate it or anything. But this is not one that I get excited about. Okay. So, you and I talked earlier this week. There there are songs like my personal song rating. This is a turn it up song. This Mm -hmm. is a let it ride song. Or this is a skip song. Yeah, I'm going to, I mean, I'm probably going to fast forward through this song. Okay. You got yeah. me. Sorry, I, man. I love this song. All right. So that does it for Have a Drink on Me. Okay. Now we're on to Shake a Leg. Yes. Which I, I think, you know, when whenever Angus Young plays, and he does a crazy, crazy show anyway, 
but he has this shtick that he does that is totally a Chuck Berry knockoff where he kind of does the duck walk and he's <laughs> kicking his leg out there and it's this goofy crazy thing and every time I hear this song I'm like we're talking about Angus right this is Angus shaking his leg exactly exactly on that note I read a story. This really involves Bond, but one of the things that Angus used to do was he'd get on the shoulders of a roadie, right? And he'd play in the crowd. The roadie would carry him around the crowd. And he's, of course, he's five foot two. He's this little shrimpy guy and he's playing this killer guitar. And then they, the roadie would bring him back up on stage. He'd put him up on Bond's shoulders and yeah. he'd play on Bond's shoulders. Right. But if he got a bad saddle, he would say, Me bowls, me bowls, put me down. <laughs> Oh, it's awesome. <laughs> All right. So Shake a Leg is an awesome song, too. It's a good song. We talked about how this was printed on some of the You Shook Me All Night Long singles, and that has become a collector's edition. It's it's a good song. I mean, it's it's not the world's best song, but it's good. Yeah. This, yeah. What's your feeling on it? Again, this is, you know, the you pointed out that there's not a lot of variation in the sound in these songs, right? Right. Um, and so... Some of them, I mean, I mean the, the great thing is, is that they're great songs. So if you're going to repeat something great, that's good. They're all fist pumping. They've all got that solid, punchy guitar that, you know, doesn't have the reverb. It's just bump, butter dump right there in your face. But some of them don't sell me the way that others do. And if I'm listening to that and I'm thinking, okay, this is the... It's the seventh time I've heard this kind of sound, and it's not just blowing me away this time. On that note, you're exactly right. There's not a lot of variation. So if you like one song, you probably like most of them. Some of them strike you a little bit stronger than the others. But notice so far there have been no ballads, right? Yeah. So I don't know if you heard this story, but at the time, the production company, the producers came in and basically put their foot down and said, you guys have got to come up with a ballad. Your, Your peers are writing ballads that are selling their albums like crazy you guys gotta come up with a ballad and they said we don't know how to do it like we don't know where to start we we've never done one and so the producers are like all right here's what you do think about your last girlfriend write some lyrics down we'll send in the guy to help you all right so after this they they got kind of gave it the good old college try and when the producers came in to listen to the results they just got up shook their head, walked out of the room and said, you guys just keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> uh, that's that good. That's good. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I don't know what I would do if I heard a ballad from ACDC. I can't, it just would be wrong. Right. It, it just doesn't go together. Yeah. It'd be, it'd be like Celine Dion singing an ACDC song. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> like putting mayonnaise on a steak. I mean, just, yeah. Yeah. All right. So the last song in the album is a song called Rock and Roll Ain't Noise Pollution. So I've said now, hey, I've, I've heard the same song, you know, the same style of song over and over. This is one where I was getting to that point, but I was then I was like, oh, hey. This is different. This is bluesy. This is more kind of, I'm grooving here a bit. And you got Brian Johnson, who apparently Mutt Lang just told him, hey, just just say something over this. I just need something, you know, so that I know that your microphone's working or something like that. And so Brian Johnson does this kind of, 
you know, preacher-esque kind of speech to the working man, and Mutt left it on. Hey there, all you middlemen, throw away your fancy clothes. And while you're out there sitting on a fence, so get off your ass and come down here. Rock and roll ain't no riddle, man. To me, it makes good, good sense. Yeah, this song, uh, I mean, on an album full of great music, this song might be number two for me. I really, wow. really dig this song a lot. It They they throw you a curveball at the end. They finish with something that is unique. And it's not so unique that you're like, what is this? It's right. still ACDC. They, the guitar still comes in here in a little bit, and it still kicks some major butt. But it has got a groove to it that... Mm, that the other songs don't have. I'm not that they're bad. It's just that they don't have that kind of groove that this one has. Okay, so I, I love hearing that from you. This song starts out slow, but it has a a building power, and it comes full tilt. Uh, this is a great, great song for me on the album as well. This one blows my skirt up, as you would say. <laughs> but this song is similar to "Pour Some Sugar on Me." We talked about when we covered "Hysteria." Mm-hmm. That Mutt Lang got to the end and said, "All right, guys, we got some good, really good, solid songs here, but we need one more, right?" Right. So initially, they only had nine tracks for "Back in Black," but they they thought they needed one more song. So Mutt Lang said, "All right, guys, get to work." Angus and Malcolm wrote this song, the the music for the song, in about fifteen minutes. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, and then it caps off this album. So good. Yeah. So I'll say this before we get into our final judgment. They had a formula that they put into play here. Yes. And that formula worked. Oh, yes. Still works. It it really does. And the and the songs they last the test of time. This album is is a great album. Okay, everybody, we're gonna take a quick break. We'll be right back after these messages. I think at this point, unless we got more to talk about, it's time to jump into Final Judgment. Let's do it. Okay, I'm going to let you go first this time. Okay, before I get to Final Judgment, I did want to bring up something really quick. These two albums that we're comparing are similar, and they're both rock, like blues-based rock. They both have that screechy, strong guitar, strong vocals, really turn it up, pump your, pump your brains out type of music. But these are both all-time best-selling albums okay yep now for whatever reason it's difficult to pin down an exact number on album sales right i have seen acdc's back in black listed as high as number two on all-time sales right Um, just behind michael jackson's thriller so highest yes highest for a band yes this one has it at number seven overall with appetite for destruction at number 13 so one of the things that really can't be disputed is that Guns N' Roses' Appetite for Destruction is the best-selling debut album of all time. Yes. Okay? Yeah. All right. So when I go to Final Judgment, here's what I'm weighing. I've got two, what I would consider front to back, every song on it is a non-skipper for me. 12 tracks, no filler, all killer. Back in Black, <laughs> back in black is the same way. It's yeah. shorter. Okay, now then, in my estimation, Appetite for Destruction is a better album, partially because it has more tracks, but we had never heard Guns N' Roses before. So I'm going to give ACDC a little bit of a break here. They get a little bit of grace because this is their seventh album, and they did this six weeks after they lost their lead singer. So I'm not discrediting Back in Black at all. 
the accomplishment of Back in Black is incredible under those circumstances. But for me, if you put a gun to my head, the first one I'm getting out of my tape deck is Appetite for Destruction. What do you think? Okay, so here's my thought. We, we've got two bands, and the last time that we talked, I said, hey, you know, what do you think the difference is between hard rock and heavy metal? And you had kind of an idea, and I shared what my thoughts with you were. But um, as we're going through this process, we're we're look, examining a lot of music, right? I mean, we've we've listened to Journey, we've listened to The Police, we've listened to Def Leppard, we've listened to Van Halen, we've listened to Nirvana, we've listened to Pearl Jam. And as I'm going through this, and I'm trying to, you know, I'm looking at these musical categories, and I'm. And, and you know is this alternative music is this hard rock is this heavy metal is this something entirely different what is this and something that spoke to me about both of these bands they both said the same thing when people would try to paint them into a corner like are you metal or are you hard rock they both said the same thing we play rock and roll yeah and that's it like and that's the you know it's the lyric to the billy joel song is the thing that's screaming in my head it's all rock and roll to me right yeah i mean i i realize that there are some folks who hate on some of the bands that we have talked about in the past because of what they did to some of the bands that we're talking about right now but it's all rock and roll ultimately it is all rock and roll and i love rock and roll and right now you can't get a good rock and roll song from anybody that I can find. I'm waiting for that comeback. I'm waiting for the I'm waiting for the ACDC of the 2000s to show up or the Van Halen or the Pearl Jam. Whoever it is is going to show up and say, "Guys, we're going to start rocking the free world again." I'm ready for that. So, what ACDC did was pure simple rock. They had that formula. You have a punch guitar, you have loud drums and you have euphemistic lyrics that are about the basics of sex drugs and rock and roll man i mean that's sex booze and rock and roll whatever you want to say and so they they set a standard i mean back in black has set the standard for what playing rock and roll in the 80s means and so they're there at the beginning of the 80s setting the standard and yes it's great it is unarguably one of the best albums of all time. But because they're so dedicated to their formula, there's a lack of variation that you have, uh, that you get from other albums and that you specifically get from Appetite for Destruction. Appetite is good old rock and roll, hard rock, rock and roll, whatever you want to call it. But they've they have a little bit of a ballad that comes in from time to time. They've got a variation in their sound. They use a talk box here and there. And with doing all of those variations, they not only give you variety, but they maintain some kick butt tunes. And so I have to say, I'm on the same page with you. I think Appetite wins the day. It doesn't sold as many albums. Um, it probably doesn't have as many diehard fans, but when I'm putting them on the scales, as you say, if I decide, okay, I got two tapes I can pick before I walk out the door, I'm going to pick Appetite. Something that would be a complete oversight if we don't mention, Brian Johnson, when he had to step away from ACDC for a little bit, yeah. who filled in for him? Axel Rose. Axel Rose. 
and Guns N' Roses, you you sent me. They play a whole lot of Rosie. Yeah. So these when they first when they first came out, Melody Maker described them as a weak ACDC. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and here's the other thing: ACDC has given us thirty years worth of great music. Forty. Forty years worth of great music. Well, if they did it first in '76, it's nearly forty-five. Gosh, that's incredible. Yeah. So they keep ACDC has been pumping out music for decades. Yeah. Now, not yeah. all of it is Back in Black or Highway to Hell. No. Some of but the they, albums, I don't know any songs on it, but yeah, but they still, even in, you know, even in their fifties, they were making some hits. Oh yeah, absolutely. Guns N' Roses, on the other hand, I you know I keep waiting and waiting and waiting, and it's just not going to happen. So, I think that Appetite will continue to stand the test of time. I think Back in Black will continue to stand the test of time. Um, they're both albums that you can go back to over and over again. And I think without Back in Black, there is, there is no GNR. There is no Appetite for Destruction. So. You gotta give you gotta give them that consideration, but um, it's a hard choice. These were definitely two major contenders, but uh, we'd love to hear from you guys. Tell us what you think. For me, this is appetite by a nose, but tell us where we're at. If you're all the way back in black, or if you hate appetite, or if you hate Axel's voice, or if you think Bon Scott was the man and back in black and everything after that was terrible, let us hear from you. Yeah, we, you can catch us at, on Twitter at Shirley Podcast, on Facebook at Shirley Podcast, or if you want to send us an email, we respond to every single email that we, we get, uh, and that's ShirleyPodcast at gmail.com. We really appreciate all of the support that you continue to give us. We're overwhelmed by how many people have reached out and given us their opinion on things. It's fantastic. We love it. So please, uh Join us in in the debate here and let us know what you think. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Check us out on Facebook and Twitter, and we will see you next time. All music images and movie clips are used for the purposes of commentary and education in conjunction with the fair use agreement under the U.S. copyright law.